0: Well, amen to that it 's a great reminder of god 's grace towards us and His seeking of us. I uh, just want to welcome you here this morning. Welcome to those of you who are watching online. It is September, and I know this is a, uh, an eventful week for many of you trying to make decisions or maybe you 've made decisions around schooling and all of that. Do want to just take a moment to uh, to pray for All of you this morning as well as we uh, begin this new season. And just a reminder, we do have a great baptism happening next week. Want to encourage you to be sure and tune in for that and then to participate in our drive through event as well. So why don't we just uh, take a moment this morning and let's pray for our parents and our teachers and our kids and and all of those who are sorting out uh, the confusion that is this fall. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your wisdom, Lord. I pray today for uh, what is coming here in September with uh, with school, with hesitancy, with uh, uh, concerns, trying to figure all of this out, Lord, would you just help uh, each of us uh, to make wise decisions, good decisions, those things, some who are beginning a sort of new type of schooling at home, others who are not sure if they're sending their kids or they're staying at home, teachers who have concerns, Lord, would you, would your spirit just provide a sense of uh, relief and peace and freedom from anxiety in the midst of all of that? We want to commit all of this into your care for others who are just sort of sorting out what work life looks like in the midst of this as well. We pray for your protection over them too. Well, we are concluding our series in the book of Proverbs this morning. Uh, we've been making our way throughout these summer months through the first nine chapters of this great book, and we come to the conclusion of that series this morning. Hopefully, you have a Bible in front of you, and if you do, I want to encourage you to open it to Proverbs chapter 9. Uh, just full disclosure before we get into this passage, and that is to say that I actually did preach a a form of this message back in 2013. Uh, Some of you, many of you were not here at that time. For those of you who were, let me just say that sometimes it is good to go back and be reminded of truths that we may have forgotten. Even for me, as I spent time reviewing and editing this week, I was encouraged with some things that I had neglected or forgotten. So we are in Proverbs chapter 9, and before we read it, I want to begin by briefly bringing you into the world of Archie Comics. Now, some of you may have grown up like I did in a time where Archie was basically required reading. The Archie series is one of the most successful comic book franchises of all time. It's been in publication since 1942, and it still enjoys a wide readership, from what I understand. The basic plot of the series, if you did not know, revolves around Archie, a high school student at Riverdale High, and his two love interests. For 68 years, Archie tried to make up his mind between Betty Cooper, the sweet, down-to-earth blonde girl next door who was a good student, a good athlete, a good cook, and a pretty decent auto mechanic, and Veronica Lodge. The rich, attractive, sometimes snooty, raven-haired heiress. Back in May of 2010, the news broke that after 68 years of publication, Archie had finally made up his mind between these two girls. It was revealed that in issue 600, Archie finally would propose to Veronica. Many loyal readers were upset with his decision shortly after that news broke the online news site newsvine which existed back then ran a poll asking readers to respond they had more than fifteen thousand responses more than 80 percent of them thought archie was making a big mistake veronica is the girl you marry the first time explained one of betty's main supporters later when you want a real relationship you marry a veronica Another agreed, sexy doesn't last, wholesome does. Now, regardless of where you might have stood or where you might stand on the Betty Veronica debate, some of you can relate to making a choice between potential spouses, or maybe some of you had to sift through a bunch of potential suitors, though hopefully it didn't take you 68 years to decide. But even apart from the marriage analogy, every one of us faces a decision about who or what we will commit our lives to. And so keeping this picture of a choice between two women in mind might prove helpful as we consider Proverbs chapter 9. Let me read the passage in your hearing. This is God's word and this is what it says. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer, Gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says... Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Well, like the comparisons and contrasts that can be made between Betty and Veronica, this passage invites us to compare and contrast two women. Woman wisdom... And woman folly. I entitled this message RSVP because each of these women makes an invitation that requires a response from us. We need to make up our minds about which invitation we will accept and which one we will reject. We need to make a decision about which woman we will commit ourselves to. And so as we make our way through this chapter, I want to make four observations related to the two invitations that are offered here. And the first one is simply that two invitations are sent to everybody. Now, the book of Proverbs has universal appeal. Because it's so accessible. I mean, you don't, you don't have to have any prior knowledge of the Bible to appreciate some of the wisdom that you find in the book of Proverbs. I mean, who can't identify with a proverb like this one from Proverbs chapter 26, where it says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Right? That picture of a dog returning to its vomit is a vivid portrayal of the way many of us return to, our, to the same sins again and again despite its destruction in our lives. But the message of Proverbs is not just sort of tid, that tidbits of wisdom are accessible to us, but that the very wisdom of God is available to everyone. And we see this clearly in verse 4 as woman wisdom says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. This makes it clear that wisdom is available to anyone and everyone who will respond to the invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And that word whoever is a great word. Its older English counterpart was the word whosoever. So, just as kind of an aside, and I think I've told some of you this before, I, I, I will sometimes use that word "whosoever" when I'm talking to a Jehovah's Witness. If they come and knock on the door, or these days maybe make a phone call, and they will tell me that you know they they represent the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and I will say something like, "Oh, that's interesting. I'm a whosoever." To which they will usually say, a "Whosoever? What is that? I've never heard of that." Now, they have their own translation of the Bible, but they will consult the King James Bible. And so I will point them to John three sixteen, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I will explain that. I'm a whosoever. I'm one of the ones who has put my faith in Jesus for salvation and not in an organization. See, the words, whoever... And whosoever have universal application, and this is what we find here in the the invitation that's given in Proverbs chapter 9. Whoever, whosoever is simple, let him come in here and attain the wisdom that I offer. And so verse 4 is an incredibly grace-filled verse. Verses 1 to 3 go into great detail about the preparations that woman wisdom has made. It says, she's built her house. She's hewn out seven pillars. She's slaughtered her beasts. She's mixed her wine. She set her table. She sent out her young women to the highest places in the town to invite the simple. It's a little anticlimactic, isn't it? I mean, all these careful preparations, all this fuss that she goes to over simpletons. But these are the guests that woman wisdom stoops to invite to her lavish banquet. So this is not an exclusive highbrow VIP party. In the words of the great modern philosopher, Justin Bieber, we don't fit in with all the beautiful people. That's not who the banquet is for. You and I have been invited to this banquet because we are a whoever or a whosoever. And like the simple, we're not invited on the basis of our status or our worthiness to attend. But on the basis of God's grace. And God's invitation to us is always like this. Always filled with grace. Listen to God's gracious invitation through the prophet Isaiah. See, the only requirement for accepting that invitation is that you are one who thirsts. Or listen to God's gracious invitation from the lips of Jesus. When he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. See, the only requirement for accepting that invitation is that we are one who strives and is burdened down. All of these invitations are given to us not because of what we have, but because of what we lack. And what we lack, we find here in the book of Proverbs, is we lack wisdom because we lack a relationship with the living God. But woman wisdom is not the only one making or extending an invitation. I said that two invitations are sent to everybody. And notice what woman folly says in verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. See, this woman also wants everyone to come to her banquet. The problem is we cannot attend both banquets. Responding to these invitations requires an either or decision. So we should not assume that we have the luxury of sort of vacillating back and forth between the two options for 68 years the way Archie did. Responding to God's call has always been an either-or decision. The book of First Kings records the story of the prophet Elijah standing before the Israelites on Mount Carmel before his showdown with the prophets of Baal. And Elijah made it clear that there was no p- middle position when it came to choosing allegiances. It tells us Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Literally, it says, how long will you go on limping back and forth? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. In the context of either following God or pursuing a life of materialism, Jesus put it this way. He said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Not that it's hard to do so. You can't do it. And just as you cannot follow the Lord and Baal at the same time or serve God and money at the same time, so you cannot attend the banquet of woman wisdom and the banquet of woman folly at the same time. We need to make up our minds and respond to these invitations. But before we're truly ready to respond to the invitations, there are some more things that we need to know. We need to know, for instance, that the two invitations look remarkably similar. Now, we've already noticed that the invitations given in verse 4 and in verse 16 use the exact same wording. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. But it's actually the entire scene that is similar. Both of these invitations are given by women. Both women call out from a high point in the city. Both women have houses and invite men to come into them. And both women make the offer of satisfying food. The two invitations look remarkably similar. At least to the untrained eye. In reality, the invitation that's given by woman folly is a cheap imitation Of the invitation that's given by woman wisdom. Now we live in a world of fakes and knockoffs and imitations and faux finishes. We're used to seeing things that sort of look just like the real thing but aren't the real thing. If you've traveled internationally then you've encountered merchants selling all sorts of imitations and knockoffs. Had the opportunity to be in China a few years back. And I had a day off to do a little bit of sightseeing while I was there and some shopping if I can when I go away on a trip like that. I like to bring something home for, for everyone in the family. And so I came back from that trip with a coach purse for Ilona, a couple of bags for my girls, and a pair of Beats headphones for each of the boys. And the total bill for all of it was less than 100 $100. Now, don't tell them, but they were all just imitations and knockoffs. You couldn't necessarily tell by looking at them, but there was a difference. As a matter of fact, the headphones stopped working, I think, less than a month in. And the point for us as believers is to remember that Satan is a master of imitation. And so we can and we should expect to be regularly presented with invitations that look like the real thing, but aren't. You know, one thing that becomes clear from even just a brief survey of Paul's letters in the New Testament is that it took almost no time for false prophets to arrive on the scene proclaiming a false gospel. Here's what Paul said to the Christians in Galatia. He said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. See, there are things that sound like the gospel, but are not the gospel. And we need to be wary of that. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul describes the situation in this way. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You see, woman folly's invitation is much like that. To the untrained eye and to the undiscerning ear, it looks and sounds like the same thing. It's an invitation to a banquet, after all. So who cares which invitation you say yes to, right? I mean, what's the big deal? Well, I want to make a third observation about these two invitations, namely, that the two invitations could not be more different. The appearances can be deceiving. On the surface of it, these two invitations might look remarkably similar. But they could not be more different. When I think about that, I'm reminded of the parable Jesus told about two builders. You're probably familiar with this parable, but I think it's worth reading it in this context. Here's what Jesus said. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now I've taught on that parable before and said that many people have the wrong picture in mind when they think about this parable. Many people picture one of the houses sort of built down on the beach, on the sand, and the other one built sort of high up on the cliff where the waters can't get to it. That's not the right picture. In that picture, it would be obvious to everyone what a person is building on. I think the right picture of those two houses is that they're two houses that stand side by side. They might both be beach houses. And the only way you can tell the difference between the two houses is to get underneath them and see what the foundation of each one is. The difference between the two houses cannot be seen with the naked eye. Only when you get underneath them in the same way. We ought to picture these two women appearing side by side. Maybe their houses are just on opposite sides of the street. And we ought to remember that the two invitations in this passage look remarkably similar. It's only when you probe a little bit deeper that you notice the differences. I want you to look carefully at these two invitations. And as you do so, you'll find that the contrasts begin to emerge. And when we look closely, we will see that the two invitations could not be more different because of their hosts. Notice the first actions of woman wisdom are just that. They're actions. Listen to the verbs that describe what she has done in verse 9. It says she has built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars. She's slaughtered her beast. She's mixed her wine. She's set her table. She sent out her young women. Contrast that with the first actions of woman folly in verse 14. Where it says, she sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at the highest places of the town. See, woman wisdom is industrious and busy making careful preparations for her banquet. While woman folly sits slovenly at the door of her house. And she invites others to do the same. But there's even more of a contrast between these two women, suggested by woman Folly's posture. When it says she takes her seat, the Hebrew word literally means seat of honor. It's often translated as throne. And we need to remember that chairs were extremely rare in ancient times. So much so that only the highest nobleman would 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 only own even one chair. Even in Elizabethan times, chairs were a luxury. Even the grandest of ballrooms rarely held more than one chair. Those of you who are involved in academics will know that when a teacher was raised to the position of a professor, he was presented with an actual chair as a symbol of the status he had attained in the world of learning. Sitting is the posture of authority that teachers take. And woman folly sets herself up in that position. She sets herself up as a tyrannical ruler over anyone who is foolish enough to sit at her feet and listen to her teaching. She's a domineering woman. She wants only to be served. Accept her invitation and you will find yourself under a cruel taskmaster. Your life will be filled with foolishness. That which you thought would bring freedom ended up leading to bondage and a life of servitude to a cruel taskmaster. Contrast that with the posture that's displayed by woman wisdom here. She goes to great lengths. She makes meticulous preparations, not for herself, but for the benefit of those she's invited to this banquet. And that picture calls to mind the New Testament when it tells us that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The substance of these two banquets is dramatically different. Both women want as many people as possible to come to their banquet, but for entirely different reasons. There's a further difference to be observed here as well when we stop to consider the actual substance of the two meals. So the two two invitations could not be more different because of their substance. It tells us here, woman wisdom has slaughtered her beasts. So this is no ordinary meal. Meat was a luxury in antiquity. And this phrase typically refers to preparations for a festal banquet. This was the phrase that Joseph used when he threw a lavish banquet after his brothers came down to Egypt. The picture we should have in mind when it says here that she's slaughtered her, her beasts. The picture we should have in mind is the picture of the father when the prodigal son comes home and he says, I've killed the fatted calf. Everything is ready. Let's eat and celebrate. It also says here that she has mixed her wine. Bruce Walkie says that this probably means that she's added something like honey or herbs to make the wine more spicy or potent or enjoyable. Some older commentators used to contend that she mixed her wine with water to dilute it, but I think that would miss the point entirely. The point is that we've been invited to this incredible feast where we can enjoy the best food and the choicest wine. But again, we're meant to contrast that with the feast... Or with the substance of the meal that's offered by woman folly. And here's what it says in verse 17. This is her invitation. Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So it would seem like bread and water are hardly worth comparing with the feast that woman wisdom has made. But woman folly adds flavor to her meal in a different way. The water is sweet because it's stolen. The bread is said to be delicious because it's eaten in secret. Forbidden fruit always tastes better, doesn't it? Or at least this has the appearance of doing so. But in the end, it's always a disappointment. Now, we ought to be able to think of lots of different ways to apply that truth. But certainly one way would be just to think about the way many men have fallen for the lie that somehow pornography is preferable to intimacy with their wife. It's a bad exchange. And this verse is really an indication of just how far we have fallen. In commenting on verse 17, Derek Kidner makes this insightful observation. He said, Eve had to be convinced that the sweetness would survive the stealing. We have fallen far enough to, to be persuaded that it depends on it. So let's be honest about it. There's always an attraction to things that are forbidden. This is why they're called guilty pleasures. And this is what she's offering. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is, pl- is pleasant. Pleasant. Paul explains the psychology behind this in Romans chapter 7 when he says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. See, there he says, really, that the commandment not to covet, do not covet, produce, or act it as a kind of agent provocateur to do that very thing. Now, if you have kids, then you know that this happens, or this is inherent in all of us. The moment we say something is off limits, that's exactly what they want, right? And the truth is, we hear this kind of invitation from woman folly all the time. We hear it in advertising. Advertising. We hear it from coworkers and family members and friends who wonder why we would bother wasting our time trying to live righteously. Why, why don't we just live by the mantra that everyone else is doing it? We hear it in the lure of an illicit relationship stolen water is sweet. It'll be so good, so much pleasure. We hear it in the little voice that says, No one is watching. No one has to know. Bread eaten in secret is delicious. So these two invitations could not be more different because of their hosts, because of the substance of their meals, and finally because of their end results. Proverbs 20, verse 17 says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full of gravel. The Bible simply will not let us escape from the fact that choices have consequences. And that paths eventually lead to destinations. This passage spells out the consequences of our choices very clearly. In verses 5 and 6, we learn about what we can expect if we will respond to woman wisdom's invitation. And this is what it tells us. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And in verses 17 and 18, we learn about the end result of responding to woman folly's invitation. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths. You see, one banquet, saying yes and eating the food from woman wisdom leads to life. Saying yes to woman folly leads us to our own death. And that is the choice before us at all times. So how have you responded? Maybe a better question is, how are you responding right now? See, this is really an invitation that requires an ongoing response. This is why Jesus said that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. Let me make one further observation about the two invitations we find in this chapter. And that is that we need to be sure which invitation we've said yes to. Norma actually alluded to this in his message last week. But Jesus tells a parable about a king who threw a great banquet. He sent invitations all over town. On the day of the actual banquet, those who had said yes to the invitation began to make excuses for why they could not come. One said he just bought a field. Another said he had just bought some oxen. Another said he had just gotten married. They all had these lame excuses for why they could not come. So the king sent his servants into the city to invite anyone he could find to come. There's actually more information that's given in that parable, at least as it's told in Matthew's gospel. Listen to verses 11 to 14 of that chapter. It says, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now look, there's been lots of speculation about what the wedding garment is supposed to represent. That's not our concern here. The point is that there will be some who think they have a ticket to the banquet who don't. And there will be a great surprise for some people on Judgment Day. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, when we planted this church, we were part of a church planting network. And every year in November, sort of the shoulder season for hotels, our church planting network would put on a, a banquet or a retreat for all of the church planters, maybe like 150 church planting couples from across Canada. And we would get to go to stay at these great hotels. They had some kind of deal worked out with the Fairmont. So we got to go to the, to the Fairmont in Whistler for one of these retreats. We got to go to the, the, um, the Fairmont in Quebec City for one of them. We got to go to the Banff Springs Hotel. We got to go to the Chateau Laurier in, uh, in Ottawa. We got to go to the Empress Hotel in Victoria. But the very last time we were eligible to go to the retreat, it was actually here in Vancouver. All we had to do was to drive downtown. And so on the day that retreat began, Elon and I got in the car. We made the 30-minute trip downtown. We pulled up to the hotel. We walked into the lobby. Went to the reception desk, gave my name, and he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Francois, I don't see any reservation under that name. Is it possible that it's reserved under a different name? Now, you all know me. You know that I often travel. When I travel, I use an alias, right, because of the paparazzi and all of that. No, I didn't have a different name. And he looked, and there's no Francois in the registration. It was at that point, Ilona looked at me and said, did you RSVP to this thing? She said something like that anyway. I thought I had responded, but I had not. Now, in the end, they did end up finding us a room with two single beds, which was probably a good thing in this situation. But listen, there's going to be lots of people who experience that very thing on Judgment Day. They will say, I thought I responded to the right banquet, but I didn't. So how do you know? Well, I mean, if it's true that some people are going to be mistaken, there ought to be a way for us to know. Well, I think this is actually where verses 7 to 12 come in. Now, these verses kind of seem to interrupt the flow of the chapter, right? I mean, you have in the first six verses this invitation from woman wisdom. And in the last set of verses, you have this invitation from woman folly. But right in the middle, we find verses 7 to 12. And this is what they say. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. By me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone Bear it. See, I think those verses help us understand which invitation we have responded to, and we can tell, firstly, by how we respond to correction. Right? That's what it's telling us in verse verses seven to nine. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he reproves a wicked man it it incurs injury. Right? If you're a fool, you don't respond well to correction. And then it tells us also that if you give instructions to a wise person, he becomes still wiser and a righteous man grows in his learning. Now, I know none of us particularly enjoy being corrected. But the issue is really, what do we do in response to correction? The person who has responded to woman wisdom or to woman folly's invitation will not accept correction. They will foolishly Only listen to themselves. The wise person, on the other hand, accepts correction and seeks to grow from it. He becomes even wiser as a result. And the way you respond to correction will help you determine whether you are wise or foolish. I mean, this is why Jesus frequently said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. A wise person is someone who wants to know. Second way you can tell is by the nature of your relationship with God. So verse 10 repeats the motto of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And all I want you to notice here, we've talked about the fear of the Lord lots. But I want you to to see this entire phrase for what it is. It's a highly relational phrase. See, this verse reminds us that our relationship with God is not like a relationship with a peer or a casual friend. We relate to God in, there's a sense of fear about it. The fear is neither mere respect nor terror. It's a recognition of and a submission to God's authority. To accept woman wisdom's invitation is to acknowledge that we are not the authority of our lives. God is. The second half of the phrase is even more intimate. It says, knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What does it mean to have knowledge of the Holy One? Well, it doesn't mean that we know a lot of facts about God. Knowledge is intensely personal. So next month and I, Ilona, will celebrate our 25th anniversary. I've already made reservations, if you're wondering. We dated for a little bit over two years before getting married. So we've actually known each other for more than 27 years. And if you were to ask me how well I knew her when we got married, I would have said, you know what, I know her quite well. I mean, we've been together for a couple years. But if you were to ask me that same question today, I would say, you know what, when we got married, I barely knew her. And hopefully when you ask me that question, how well do you know, Ilona, 25 years from now, I'll say, you know what, as I look back on it, it is amazing how over these last 25 years, I've just increased in my knowledge of her. And this is how it ought to be in our relationship with God. Knowledge of the Holy One. Is insight. And we know that we've really accepted wisdom's invitation, not because we can remember saying yes to it, to some sort of invitation 15 years ago. We know that we, we've got this relationship because we have a grow, or we've said yes to the right invitation because we have a growing relationship with God. We're growing in our knowledge of Him. Jesus said it like this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So how do we get this eternal life? It's by knowing God through Jesus. And our series has been called The Beginning of Wisdom. And really, we could call this the beginning, the middle, and the end of wisdom because all of it is found in a relationship with Jesus. My encouragement to you today is not just to collect facts, but to know Jesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that this invitation that you have sent out is for every one of us. And Lord, we want to respond to the right invitation. We want to respond to Woman Wisdom's invitation. We want to respond to the invitation of Jesus, that we might come to him, that we might find rest for our souls. And Lord, we pray that we would grow in our knowledge and our love Of you, that our relationship with you would flourish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.